Lord Jesus, you tell us in your word that we can do all things through you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to help us believe that more. We pray it in your name. Amen. Several years ago, I climbed Mount Whitney in California with a friend of mine and a co-worker of his that I'd never met, but that my friend brought along. And for some reason, this co-worker felt compelled to tell me everything I was doing wrong. He told me I brought the wrong food, the wrong shoes, the wrong water bottle. And he kept saying to me, you're going to get altitude sickness. You're not going to make it. You can't do this. Well, the first night we camped at about 12,000 feet and the next morning he and my friend woke up with altitude sickness. But I felt great. So I decided to go to the top without them anyway. And as I left, the co-worker said, you're going to get sick. You're going to get lost. You can't make it. You can't do it. Well, it took me all day and I did get a little bit lost. But I finally got to the top for one of the best views I've ever seen in my life. You could see practically all the way to Nevada. So when I got back, he was still sick. So I stuck my head in the tent and just said, just wanted to let you know I made it, which wasn't very nice of me, but it was fun. For the next two weeks, I want to talk about some of the lies that the devil tells us. And one of, the, one of those lies is you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. Now, because we're all sinners, sometimes we hear that message delivered to us from other people. But often the devil himself will whisper that lie to us directly. When we're kids, for instance, we sometimes, from parents, teachers, or peers, hear things said to us like, well, you're no good at school or you can't do that sport. But the place the devil most wants to tell us that lie is in our spiritual life. Now, often we'll hear a voice that says something like, you can't stop that habitual sin. You've been doing it for decades. Don't even bother. Or you can't control that addiction. Or you can't fix your marriage. It's too far gone. Or you can't serve in the name of Jesus. You don't have enough time. You don't know enough. You're too messed up. God can't use you. In one way or another, we all hear that lie. You can't do it. You don't have what it takes. And that's a little bit of what's going on in the story we read today out of the Old Testament, where the king of Aram, which is modern-day Syria, attacks the Israelites with this giant army. And the prophet Elisha and his servants see this army coming, and the servant gets afraid, and he says, whoa, what are we going to do? We can't fight this army. And then Elisha says a silly thing. Don't be afraid. Okay, there's an army coming, right? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And you can kind of see the servant saying, uh, not so much, Elisha, because, well, there's two of us and thousands of them, and thousands is greater than two, right? And then Elisha prays that the servant could see the invisible spiritual powers all around him. And suddenly the servant's eyes are opened and he sees a whole host of angels and chariots of fire. And they beat the Syrian army. And the point of that story is that all around us there are unseen spiritual powers at work. We are part of a cosmic battle where Jesus and the devil are duking it out for every heart, every mind, every soul. And for those of us who know Jesus, we are surrounded by a spiritual army that we can't see, but that will empower us to do what God has called us to do. And that's what's going on in the other passages we read, where the Apostle John says, don't believe everything you hear and don't be afraid because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 
And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I got a call about a year ago from a woman from my former church whose wedding I had done years earlier. And she called me crying and and told me that uh, her husband had been a severe alcoholic for years. And, and that all he did was drink, and whenever he drank, all he did was yell at her, and now their marriage was over because of his alcoholism. And she left the house and was calling me from the side of the road, and she said, there's nothing I can do. He can't quit drinking, and we can't fix our marriage. She said, but would you pray for me anyway, which was interesting because when I did their wedding, they weren't quite sure what they thought about the whole Jesus thing. So I prayed for her over the phone. And then she said, do you have people in your church who pray? And I said, yeah, there's a few of them who do that, yeah. (laughs) And she said, well, could you have them pray for me? So I sent an email to some of our prayer teams, and and they prayed for her. Well, a couple months later, she sent me an email. And she said that her husband, her and her husband, had done one last counseling session the day after she called me. And that in that counseling session, her husband decided to quit drinking for four months because it was such a distraction for her. It's big of him, right? Well, then a year later, I got another email from her. In fact, on the anniversary of the day, she called me from the side of the road. And she emailed me again and said that her husband was completely sober for a year, that he joined AA, that it wasn't easy, but they kept working on their marriage. And now they were both following Jesus and their marriage was healed. And, and, and her husband said he never wanted to go back to drinking again. And this is how she ended her email to me. She said, I recognize that this is the power of God being given an answer to prayer. I wish I could describe for the people who've been praying for me the difference I see and feel. It's miraculous. And this change has saved our marriage. Please thank all those wonderful people who were willing to pray for perfect strangers. God showed up. I don't know who they are, but thank you. She and her husband were hearing some lies. You can't quit drinking. You can't fix your marriage. You can't do it. But when they called on Jesus and asked strangers 800 miles away to pray for them, they unleashed a spiritual army on their behalf that sent the devil running. There is power in the name of Jesus if we will just call on him. And there are a couple of things that we can do so that, like Elisha's servant, we can see the spiritual powers that are all around us and beat back the lies of the devil. And the first thing we need to do is rebuke the lies with the truth. With the truth. You know, when that voice goes off in your head that says, you can't do this, you don't have what it takes, instead of dwelling on it, instead of letting it control you, rebuke it. Say, that's not true, you stupid devil. Now go back to where you came from. Now, if it's another person that says to you, you can't do it, might want to be more diplomatic than that. But if it's just your own thoughts or if it's just the devil kind of whispering to you, let him have it. Rebuke the lies. This is why we encourage you to read the Bible and learn about it through classes like Bible 101. Because the more we know the Bible, the more we know the promises that God makes to us, then the more we can rebuke the lies with God's truth. That he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Rebuke the lies. The second thing we need to do to beat back the lies of the devil is to encourage each other. That's one of the things we do in Christian community. We say you can beat that sin. You can heal your marriage. You can step out and serve. You can do it. You have what it takes in Jesus. Rebuke the lies. Encourage one another. 
But the best way to beat back the lies of the devil is to hear our Father's voice in prayer. The best way to get rid of Satan's lies is to hear God himself saying to us, you can do all things through me. And it is possible to learn to recognize God's voice. He will speak to us. And we learn to recognize it through reading the Bible so we get familiar with the kinds of things he says. And through practicing prayer. Maybe even going on one of our prayer retreats that we offer so we can learn to recognize God's voice when we hear it. And the best way I can describe it doesn't happen every time I pray, but every once in a while it comes in thoughts that are like my thoughts but not my thoughts because they move more quickly across the surface of my mind. And they occur in a different place in my brain, literally sort of at the top of my brain. And I can't force them to happen. They just come whenever God wants to say something. And even just... Hearing one sentence from God drives the enemy's lies away. I have a friend who's a pastor, and he was put in charge of a men's ministry in his church. But he was very young, and, and all the men that he was supposed to lead were older than he was. And he kept thinking, I, I can't do this. These men are, are old enough to be my father. I, I can't lead them. Well, one day he was praying about it, and he got one of those thoughts that sort of moves quicker than his own thoughts, and it said, Mighty Warrior. That's it, mighty warrior. Not even a complete sentence, right? Terrible grammar, mighty warrior. Dangling something or rather, right? Well, he knew that was God. God's not bound by our rules of grammar. He can say whatever he wants, right? And that gave him confidence that God was with him, that God had called him to do this, and that calmed him down. He's done a great job leading that group. When we hear our Father's voice, it exposes the devil's lies for what they are, lies and that gives us confidence back in the 1880s there was a famous bandit named black bart who always wore a black hood over his head so no one could see his face and he had this reputation of being this terribly violent dangerous criminal so all he had to do was show up somewhere and people just started giving them their stuff because they were so afraid of him well when they finally caught up to him it turned out that he was really a mild-mannered pharmacist from decatur illinois and, the news, and this man that the newspapers had described as storming up and down the plains on horseback was actually afraid of horses and would ride to and from his robberies in a buggy. And he never loaded his gun because he was afraid to fire it. Okay, that's the devil. He can defeat us without firing a single shot simply by his lies that intimidate us. But in reality, he's just a wimpy druggist from Decatur, Illinois. <laughs> All hat, no cattle. And once we expose his lies, we realize the truth that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, just two caveats. The first is this. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, which means we can do the things that Jesus calls us to do, not necessarily the things we dream up on our own that we think we ought to go do. You know, if I decided today I wanted to swim to Bremerton and jumped in the Puget Sound and started swimming, saying, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, God would be under no obligation to get me there. (laughs) My idea, not his. But God will empower us to do the things he calls us to do. And there are a lot of things we know that Jesus calls us to do from the Bible. Serve others, obey his commands. Other things are more nebulous, like which job should I take, but even there, through prayer and good counsel, we can discern his call. We can do all things Jesus calls us to do. 
The second caveat is that just because Jesus helps doesn't mean it will be easy. We're still involved in this process. He doesn't do it for us. In the story, Elisha still has to deal with the Aramean army. And Paul says he can do all things, but also says that he's known times of poverty and hardship, been put in prison, all kinds of stuff. But Jesus gives us the power to overcome those things. When I was in high school, I I wasn't a Christian and wasn't very focused on my studies at all. I spent a lot of time in the party scene, took my SATs in an altered state of consciousness. By that, I don't mean Idaho. (laughs) One day, my high school counselor called me into his office and he said, you know what? You should not waste your time applying to college. You don't have what it takes to be a student. You, you cannot succeed in academics, so you better start thinking about what you're going to do instead. And I believed him, because based on all the evidence of the time, he was right. So after high school, I moved to Seattle and worked as a file clerk, which is a very boring job. And I lived in an apartment across the street from the University of Washington and across the street from University Presbyterian Church. And every Sunday, I'd see all the Christians going to church and Think how silly they were for going to church, not knowing that a year later I'd be going to that church. And I also felt drawn to the university campus. I mean, the trees, the buildings, the pretty women. I mean, it's just, you know, as a 19-year-old guy, that was, hey, that looks cool, right? At the same time, I started exploring who Jesus was. And the more I learned about Jesus, the more I wanted to go to college. So I went to see an admissions counselor at the UW, and she looked over my records, and she said, wow, your, your grades are pretty low. And, whoa, your SATs are really low. What happened there? Never mind. <laughs> and I said, I, I know, I know, I, I probably can't go to college here. And she said, well, probably not. But try this. Go to a community college for a semester, get your grades up, come back, we'll talk again. So that's what I did. About the same time, I I, I started following Jesus, which helped give me the discipline I'd lacked earlier and gave me a community of people to encourage me. Well, a year later, I got into the UW and then got a master's degree and another master's degree and then a doctoral degree, and then I ran out of degrees and had to work for a living. (laughs) Whenever I tell that story to people, they always ask, did you ever go back and show your high school counselor your PhD diploma? And the answer to that is no. Thought about it, but haven't done it. Because you know what? He had very good reason to say what he said. He was just trying to help. I had dug myself a very deep hole. And even after I I went to the university, I was still playing catch-up for years. But what neither my counselor nor I knew at the time was the power of Jesus. This is not a story about me achieving anything. Please do not take it that way. I'd trash my life. But Jesus did good things for me and in me. And I'm sure the only reason I got into the University of Washington was because Jesus wanted to get me into University Presbyterian Church where I would meet a man named Steve Hayner who turned out to be a perfect mentor for me. And I'm sure the only reason I got into Stanford for graduate school was because of a clerical error. (laughs) Some other person named Scott Dudley should have gotten in and... That was a godly clerical error, but a clerical error. Because God knew I needed to meet a woman named Christina in California and get connected with the university church there so he could force me to become a pastor even if I didn't want to be. And now I do. My high school counselor was right. I did not have 
what it took. But Jesus did. And what I discovered is me plus Jesus turned out to be the majority. We live in a world where we are constantly told you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. But when it comes to doing the things that God has called us to do, know him, serve him, obey his commands, live whole, joy-free, fear-free, joyful, fear-free lives, through Jesus we can do all of those things. During one of his best basketball games ever, Michael Jordan ended up scoring 69 points in one game. It was pretty impressive. Well, after the game, the reporters were interviewing a teammate of Jordan's named Stacy King. And it was King's rookie season. And he managed to score two points that night. And he joking, jokingly said, I will always remember this game as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined for 71 points. <laughs> it's all about who you know, right? Where is the devil telling you, you can't do it? And how can you rebuke those lies? Knowing that Jesus gives us the power to do all things through him. Because you see, on our own, we are nothing special. We can't walk on water. We can't calm the storm. Nothing special. But when we call on Jesus, everything is possible. When we face a difficult situation at work and we don't think we're up to it, we may be right. But when we call on Jesus, we can do all things through him. When we face the marriage that's on the rocks or the health crisis or the financial problems, we may feel powerless. But when we call on Jesus, we are more than conquerors. When we face temptations, addictions, habitual sin that we can't seem to control or stop, we may feel weak and powerless. And we may be right. But when we call on Jesus, we see that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. When we feel God nudge us to step out in faith and serve him in some way, we may feel inadequate. But when we call on Jesus, we can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power at work within us. And we discover that there is no trial so difficult that we can't survive it, no temptation so strong that we can't resist it, no mountain so high that we can't get over it, no river so deep that we can't get under it, no storm so raging that we can't get around it, that neither life nor death nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor famine, trouble, hardship, nakedness, peril, or persecution of the sword. Nothing, there is no thing that can ever sever us from the love we have in Jesus. And that in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him. So the next time the devil tells you that you can't do something, you grab him by the collar and you tell him you can through Jesus. Lord Jesus, make it so. And we will give you all the glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.